Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Jillian Murphy, a naturopath, speaker, educator, and coach, and this is Food Freedom Body Love, a podcast I put together to help you make peace with food, body image, and weight so you can kick your all-consuming, exhausting weight control food obsession habits and start living your best, healthiest life. Today is an incredibly fun episode. I have been talking a lot about learning versus living, education versus embodiment, and what it looks like to go from learning the concepts of health at every size and intuitive eating and diet recovery and body acceptance and a healthy body image. What does it look like to go from learning those concepts to living them and embodying them? And I thought one of the best ways to explore this idea would be to interview four women that I've worked with recently, um, some for a short period of time, some over a long period of time, like two years, and for you to hear from them what is happening in their process and what embodiment means to them, what's been most helpful, what's been um, needed and necessary, and why Juicy Body Blueprint is going to be such an amazing community for you. Again, the Juicy Body Blueprint is a 12-week embodiment program. I have taken the Food Freedom Body Love Method, which I've used for a decade, And I have combined it with the most key and important concepts from Redefining Health, a past program of mine that you'll hear mentioned actually in this episode. And I have taken the info and condensed it so that there is less learning, less burden on content, and a whole lot more focus on just being in community, hopping on calls, asking questions, um, being held accountable for playing with this work in real life and getting messy and curious and exploratory um, and just really putting in the work to live the concepts. So um, I'm interviewing four women, Candice, Megan, Anne, and Lindsay. I will intro each of them and then you can hear what they have to say about learning versus living, education versus embodiment. First up is Candice. Um, I love Candice's take on education versus embodiment, learning versus living. Um, we go right into an experience that she recently had over the holidays around exercise with a family member and um, what it looks like for her to live the concept of juicy body movement, of moving for joy and for the way she most wants to feel in her body and her life while shedding old expectations of outcomes or what it should look like. That that difference, right, between learning the work and living it or embodying it. And I know you're kind yeah. of still early in the embodiment process. Um, anyway, I had questions for you, but I know that you said that there was an interesting thing that happened that would be perfect to talk about. So I don't know if you want to just launch right into that and then we can circle back to sort of where you're at in this process. Yeah. 
Yeah, so um, my dad is quite sporty, um, has a long love affair with dieting and trying to restrict his body. And the way he does that is through movement. So he doesn't really restrict his eating, but he um, can over-exercise. Yeah. He's found a lot of community from it as well, but yeah. it is mainly about controlling the size of his body. Sure. So um, when we talk about running, swimming, cycling, I find it really difficult to take away the pressure, the, the slight pressure he's giving me to um, go and do some exercise. Right. But for right. Christmas, he very, very kindly uh, sent me some money to buy a new pair of running shoes, which was lovely. There is an ulterior motive to that for him, slight one, and I really struggle with that. So we went for a run over the Christmas period uh, we didn't go on the road. We were, I live um, I live in quite a rural area and there's a canal and we went for a trail run along the canal. Um, we were oh, chatting. I love, a, I love a British canal. I just have to interrupt you for a minute. <laughs> Does everyone know what a canal is? Yeah. I don't know. Can I, I, and I just, I know I'm interrupting your story, but I just have to say uh, many years ago when I lived in London and my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, lived in Harlesden on a canal where McVitie's was. So we would run yep. to the smell of hobnobs of cooking. Oh yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> anyway, okay, sorry, back to your story. Oh no, go for it. Um, so we went out for a run. I don't run. So it was gonna be like a run walk. Um, I was really quite, it was a really nice thing for me to enjoy with my dad, actually. You know, if, if we take the ulterior motive away, enjoying the outside and being active with my dad as a companion is just so lovely. Yeah. We did more chatting than running, if I'm honest. It was really muddy. I had to go over a stream. I felt like Bear grills. My shoes got so muddy, but it was absolutely exhilarating. So there I am three days on uh, and I am trying to unpick a way to exercise in January without feeling like I'm doing it for diet reasons. Yes. And initially I found that really difficult. So I thought, okay, how can I unpick this? Like, what is going back to like those core feelings? Why do I want to go out? I want to go out because I like moving through nature. It makes me feel calm. It's really good for my mental health and just moving my body and experiencing even like the sounds of the mud squelching and stuff like that. It just makes me feel a bit wild and yeah, that's a really that. lovely feeling. So how can, how can I like protect myself? Because if I went out running, like I would normally go out, it would be, I'd have headphones in, I'd be doing it on Strava. I'd probably download a couch to 5k app. And I, all of this stuff just felt like, a path I didn't want to go down. So I thought, okay, well, let's strip it all back. So I, I literally, uh, no music, no Strava, 
no couch to 5k because I could just use the trees as a you know if I want to do fartlek I can just use trees to do that yeah and no real like no real ambition to run to be honest just to like move through the landscape but it was it it was really interesting that it came up when it did because I know we were going to be talking about this and I think it's really hard because it's almost like you have to keep checking in with yourself yes around food and and exercise to make sure you're not walking a dead yeah walking a dangerous path because at this time of year it's so easy to slip back into that jet stream of the wrong goals yeah and for old programming to pop up right and i think that this is it's so interesting because i think that this is the path of embodiment is that ongoing it's the discipline part of internally led living which is staying in touch with your body and knowing that there will continually be things that want to pull you back into that old programming. Yes. And yes. especially at specific times of year or when specific things happen in our body, we're more at risk of of getting swept up in that old programming. And it's going to be there. It's always yeah. there. That's also, yeah. I think, a really key part of embodiment is beginning to embrace the fact that for most people, that old programming doesn't fully go away. And so it's like... How do I make friends with it? How do I know that it's there? And how do I continue to disengage and disconnect and uncouple yeah. from it? And then how you're doing... can I change the behavior or be more intentional with my purpose? Yes, both of those things, motivation and then with exercise in particular with food as well. I love what you're doing because I will often say, like some people can just uncouple you know they can figure out a way to do it other for other people specific types of exercise or specific um kinds of programs is just too deeply linked yeah to the old programming it's It's like to outcomes and visually it's like you're trying to like untangle yourself a bit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think the way you do that is you bring yourself back to the reason why you're going and you try and do it differently. Yeah, yeah, agree, agree. Um, And to me, that's like, that's juicy body moving. Juicy body moving is because I want to feel wild or I want to feel I want to feel wild. That was one of mine. It's so funny that you bring that up, but I had a pretty tenuous relationship with running and had to really give it up for a long time and then was slowly getting pulled back into little pieces of it. And I had to do a lot of checking and I did it really slowly yeah. because it was a dangerous path for me. And, you know, that old programming was right there. It was sitting right there. It was right. I could see it sort of out of the corner of my eye, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but when I dug right into it, what running allows me to feel is a sense of what I was calling freedom but when mm. you said that word wild, that word is strong for me. Yeah. Like that sense of like running through town with this like, and I don't, 
you know, I, I jog, walk. I'm like, I'm nowhere near what I used to do. But there is this sense of freedom and power that I get. Not everyone gets, but I get mm. when I run a little bit. Yeah. And so I just started focusing on that. And, and you're right. All of a sudden, it's like, I don't need apps. I don't need, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes I enjoy music or whatever. But it's like, I can just run and walk and there's no specific goals exactly. that I have to hit. I'm or... just here. Yeah. I'm just here enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. It doesn't matter how fast or how slow I'm going because that's not the purpose. No. The purpose is to detach and breathe and move through nature. It's funny. I'm looking out at where I ran. And, and it, it, I didn't go very fast. I didn't run for very long. I actually covered more ground than I thought I would. And I was late back for lunch, but it didn't feel like running. Does that even make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It totally does. It totally does. And like, yeah, I just love this thing. You know, when we talk about embodiment, it's kind of fun that we're talking about exercise because a lot of the conversations revolve around weight or, you know, our bodies. And that's obviously a huge piece of this work. It's the the fun, the foundation, the fundamentals, but it's, thank you. Thank you for like, it, it's fun to talk about the, the embodiment piece of, of movement because it can be so tricky and it can be so mm. difficult to uncouple. Um, yeah. what I hear you saying, which is what, you know, I think you and I talked about and what I talk about all the time is that it's this, what I heard you say is this sort of constant practice of checking in. It, you're right. It is a practice like a religion. Mm, mm. yeah you know and like a muscle and it's like a muscle yeah. as well like it's like yeah you know this work gets easier for sure but if we spend too long away from it without putting any intention or practice into it we can find ourselves falling back into old old ways you know we have to to, to yeah. strengthen it and check in it, it is a massive um it is a massive piece of self-care yeah yeah. Constantly trying to keep yourself on that path of like, you know, when we talked about how you want to feel, mm. how, how do you not like trying to uncouple all of that external pressure and opinion to really get back to like your core, your, the way you want to feel in your core, that is a... It can be a day, some weeks it's daily and, and some weeks it's not, yeah. but it, it is a, it's almost like you're constantly bringing your attention back and bringing your attention back. And you're right. Like I did it today and I feel amazing that I did it because I managed to just get rid of all the bullshit. Yeah. And there's days I don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's uh, part of the process too, is knowing that yeah. there is no perfection. No, sometimes that thinking, I really get tangled. Right, that thinking that at some point you're you'll be a hundred percent intuitive with food and movement and your body and at peak, like a hundred percent is also an interesting diet mentality thought. All or nothing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like perfection. Yes. Yeah. 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 Is and there actually any... all you want to do is enhance your well being and feel like did you say like feel closer to who you really are more yeah. yes yeah that's the goal but it's yeah. hard because uh, this has come up in a couple of the other recordings that I've done 
um, it's hard at times because we're choosing to opt out of pleasing or conforming mm-hmm. or meeting other people's ideals or expectations. It can feel like a lonely road. That's that's the word. That's the word. It can feel lonely. Yeah. It can feel lonely to feel like I'm not going to buy into the pressure anymore. I'm not going to. I'm going to choose to move differently and for different reasons. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anything. Last thing um, I wanted to ask. Was there anything in particular in the work that we did that helped you with this? like moving from just learning about these concepts into more of the embodiment aspect. The destiny stuff we did. Oh, yes. Destiny yeah. map the, stuff. The desire map. Desire the map. desire map. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, like really, really intentionally thinking about how you want to feel as you walk through your life, not when you're doing big stuff, but like every day, how you want to feel as a guide is so useful because it's like an anchor that you can bring yourself back to and and help help like navigate yourself mm. through stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those knowing those that's from the Danielle Laporte's desire map. Knowing those core desired feelings is so mm. key to this work. And whether you use yeah. the book or we find them another way, like uh, following how we want to feel is just so key. It's so key, isn't it? Absolutely. And yeah. wild is is one of my feelings. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. It was so fun to talk about this with Megan, who's up next. Um, In this snippet, Megan talks about the importance of guidance and mentorship and having someone who can break down the philosophies and the concepts of this work and help you apply it to you and your individual circumstances and life. And also just the fact that it's a process that it requires time and coming back to it over and over again. Um, And that community is a really major and important factor in embodying this work. So take a listen to what Megan has to say. She talks about where she's embodying the work and where she still is working and exploring and efforting. And um, I think you're just going to really enjoy it. Um. I guess I would say that this is probably the first time, so for the last, I guess, two years, close to two years that I've been working with you through various programs. This is really the first time that I can say that I've gotten past that initial step of trying to incorporate a new way of being with food and with body image and, and not seeking weight loss and all of that stuff. I have done many different types of programs, whether geared towards weight loss or geared towards more of an intuitive eating or um, just sort of mindful nutrition type of type of goal. But I always either felt like a it wasn't working for me because I was failing at it. And or b that I wasn't that I wasn't doing it properly and that I, and that I had too many questions 
And, you know, when you're just reading something on the internet or, you know, maybe you're working with some sort of a coach, but unless it's this sort of intense, um, immersement, that's not a word, but like, yeah, I know what you're saying. You're sort of, you're immersing yourself in this. You're really studying it on a week to week basis. You're comparing notes with other people to make sure that yes, you are really getting it. If you don't get it in the exact same way as everybody else, that's okay. And mm-hmm. if there are things you don't get, you can work on it. Like this is the first time that I feel like I've really gotten past the, am I doing this right? Yeah. And into the, this is working for me. I'm going to keep going. Mm. So that's been huge for me because of course, you know, when I first started working with you, I had the same questions that I've always had where, okay, this is all great in theory, but I don't feel like I can actually do this. I don't feel like it's going to work for me because I have too many hangups I'm too, um, I'm too, what's the word? Not triggered, but like, um, I'm too emotional. I'm too, um, I'm too easily swayed by food and by negative body images and by the culture and the, the, you know, the noise. It's like, I'm too susceptible to all of it. Exactly. Yes. Um, because I always have been and, and it's, you know, I've been trying for a decade and I still haven't gotten out of it so what makes me think this is going to be any different but but it has been um so I guess what made it different for me this time is that we had you who you know anything I've ever read or heard about you've read those things those same things and so you were able to kind of help translate those concepts for us and put it into that easy to digest and logical um, material. And so we were able to to really grasp it in a way well, that I've never I done think, before. Yeah, and I think what's um, also important is like this idea that there are some really big concepts in this work, but how it is lived or how that concept is used or needed by different people is different. Exactly. Yeah. And so one idea, you know, could be translated or different aspects of it needed by every single person that's in the program in a slightly different way. And they need to hear it differently and they need to use it differently. Um, They need to understand it differently. And so that's really hard to do a on your own without a guide or a mentor and I think also the more that I do this work, that it's helpful to help to hear other people in their process because the compare and contrast sometimes in the, the ways in which we do things the same is helpful, but also sometimes the ways in which we do things differently is helpful. Yes. Yeah, I think it, uh, the, the group portion of the Redefining Health program was really helpful for me because it highlighted the, the areas where I was like, oh, okay, I'm actually okay on this part. I feel yeah. like I've, I've either done well overcoming my issues with this area and I feel solid now, or, um, this actually isn't an area where I ever struggled. So that's good. It made me feel like, okay, I'm not as bad off as I thought maybe initially. Um, or it just helped me highlight, okay, I've actually, I've done this work and I've done sort of that baseline. And it made me feel like I was ready 
to move forward into the gentle nutrition portion because that was really like someone who's brand new to any of this type of work wasn't really meant to be doing the redefining health program you had Mm -hmm. to have kind of covered those bases and made sure that you weren't in sort of an active eating disorder or anything like that um and I had I had some qualms at first about whether I was ready to pursue anything like that um and I knew what my sticky points were going to be, but it, it was really helpful to sort of do that assessment portion in the first few weeks and to see where I was actually at and to realize, okay, no, I've got a lot of this down. Mm-hmm. It's extremely helpful to, to hear it all again. And like still now, like it's been almost two years. I still listen to all your podcasts. I still read yeah. all your newsletters yeah. because it's a good refresher and it's at, you know, each new topic or each new angle puts a spin on things that I'm like, okay, right. Yes. I knew this and I've got this, but now this is a new thing that I can grasp onto. Um, but, but the other good thing is about the, about the redefining health was that I was able to identify where my areas of weakness or opportunity to keep working. So for me, for example, everything that was said, you know, in theory about loving ourselves and being enough and the ladder and stepping off the ladder and refusing to partake in diet culture, all of those things intellectually, I'm like, yeah, I'm there. I'm with you. Like I'm posting on my Instagram about them. I'm encouraging my friends, Yeah, but I still don't feel okay in my body. I still feel unattractive and I still feel like, how can I leave the house with my belly looking this way? And won't everybody be staring at me? So that's an area that I obviously need to keep working on in myself. And the other big portion for me is movement because I still, even after however long doing this work, I still cannot seem to move past that hurdle of associating intentional movement for the sake of moving my body. It's so stuck with exercise and with weight loss. So for me, that's something that I have to I just, I have to keep breaking down those connections Uh just like I did with food where I can get to the point with that, that I am at with food. So I know there's, you know, there's some successes and there's still room to grow. And that's, you know, I will always keep pursuing this. That's the process. That's the process. Yeah. Yeah. And what are the, like, are there daily or weekly or just practices that you come back to regularly that help you? stay in the embodiment process because it is a practice. I mean, I'm, I'm recording with um, four or five women this week. And that is obviously, I mean, that is my understanding. That's what I teach that like the learning is like the tip of the iceberg, right? The theoretically intellectually understanding this concepts is the tip of the iceberg. And then the rest of the work is like a lifetime of um, embodying and practicing and making mistakes and being in the mess of it. And like, it gets easier, but it's still a self-care practice actually to stay in it, you know? So what does that look like for you in an ongoing way at the moment? Um, I mean, to me, it's, it looks like just thinking back to the core, the core theories, I guess, of you know, what are the physical cues, hunger, fullness, satiation? What am I feeling right now? Where is my body on a scale of one to 10? Do I even know what those feel like? Mm. Um, What does my body feel like right now? Does it feel like going for a walk? Does it feel like sleeping? Do I need emotional rest? 
do I want to go make a big meal? Like all of those, all of those things that we learn in the program, we learned how to recognize them, but now I have to practice and sort of keep asking myself those questions that I learned how to do. And it is an ongoing process. Like, you know, over the holiday season, you identified in your, in your latest podcast series, it's, it's a tricky time because everyone seems to, the majority of people who, you know, have been exposed to diet culture will see this time as sort of like a free pass to eat whatever they want. But there's always that attitude of like, oh, I can't be doing this all the time. Like it's going to have to stop somewhere. And the question we asked is, well, why? Why does it have to stop? Right. Right. Um, So during the holiday season, for sure, I, I was sort of extra on guard for knowing that I was going to hear those messages from other people having to decide within myself whether I was going to counter those messages, let them roll off me, remove myself from the situations, be more prepared, all of that stuff. Um, but I think interestingly, the pandemic really changed how this holiday season rolled out in that way because everyone seems to be just in full on survival self-care mode. Like if they wanted yeah. to eat the whole pie, they ate the whole pie and no yeah. one was judging about it. Yeah, Like yeah. it was great actually. Good. Um, but so the good thing is, I, like, I didn't feel like I overate. I didn't feel like I was policing myself. If anything, I was like, I'm still hungry. I need to go get more food. Like, this is, I need to feed myself. And I was noticing that. Yeah. Um. So it was a it was a very good time to sort of be aware of those things and to be practicing, and just as I said before, continuing to to learn and to follow the people that you've shared with us and to and to you know, delve more deeply into the books, you know, the Brene Browns and the Sonia Renee Taylors and, and all of these, all of these people. I mean, I still want to go and learn more from Alan Satter. I want to learn yeah. more of that, that foundational knowledge that, that you shared with us, because I think one of the most powerful things for me in the Redefining Health program was not just, this is going to make you feel happier and less hateful towards yourself. It was, this is actual science, right? This has been proven. Yeah. And I am a results oriented person. So knowing that was extremely helpful for me to finally, I hope once and for all, let go of this whole, you know, a diet will work as long as you work hard at it. Right. Or everybody's body can be reduced in size by 30% or whatever it is. Yeah if you are doing the right things. And it's like, no, it's, that's factually incorrect. Right. And so that's what I appreciated so much was that you were able to show us all of those things that we were sort of blind to because there's billions of dollars being put in the opposite rhetoric. (laughs) (laughs) um, So yeah, but the, the daily practice, the weekly practice, just continuing to question what I'm feeling and continuing to question, oh, the other big one was the motivation. Yeah. Like if I decide I want to have a salad or I decide I want to have a smoothie or I decide I don't want breakfast this morning, why? It's, it's, why am I making that decision? Yeah. This has come up a couple of times in these recordings as well, which, you know, it's, it's like, it's interesting that early in the work, um, we're fearful of, and we have to question or, or not, we have to, we're fearful of, and we're often in question every single time we want something that has like sugar or carbs or like, you know, and then later in the work, <laughs> we start 
as you start to embody this work, you start to want variety and you start to want a smoothie or to not feel like eating occasionally or, you know, we start to experience the wide range of, of human yeah. eating behaviors that sometimes get dulled or dimmed when we are preoccupied with food from dieting. Um, and then it's interesting that we be, have to start questioning and we become fearful of like, just a second, why? Sorry, I want a salad? Like, <laughs> I want a smoothie? I why? I want, oh, I really do want this though. And, yeah. and part of the process is learning to like, live with that full range of eating desires and behaviors from wanting the double fudge sundae, even though you're kind of full just because you want yep. it to like not feeling like eating breakfast. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I've really seen that over the past week when, you know, I've been pretty down. There's been family that we weren't able to see over Christmas because of the pandemic and all mm -hmm. that stuff. So mm -hmm. it's been a hard time. It's been stressful. It's been exhausting with young kids and there were times when, you know, my friends were like, oh, okay, you know, you take time for yourself tonight, open that bottle of wine. And I was like, yeah, I do have a bottle of wine I could open. And then I just didn't because I didn't feel like I wanted it. So it's, it's very, it's comforting and it's rewarding to be able to see myself make those choices and know that it's like, I'm not even really, I'm not necessarily articulating it step-by-step step in my brain. I'm just sort of vaguely thinking do I want the wine no I don't really feel like it right now mm. and that's as deep as it goes but yeah. that's but that's that intuition and that's that knowing what I actually wanted like I, I right like I don't want alcohol and... to interrupt my sleep and I don't want it to interrupt my morning no. and like yeah 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 and that's like th there have been moments where I've gone that deep and done the whole like okay I've had bad acid reflux the last few days I'm not going to eat the M&Ms before bed and I'm not going to have the glass of wine and I'm not going to have this and that. And those were more intentional choices. But, but the more I've gone through those deeper processes, the more I've been able to just do it without going down Love it. the rabbit hole, the more it's just that yeah. intuitive feeling of eh, not today, yes. but I know it's there. Yeah. And if I want it tonight, I'll have it tonight, but I don't have to, I don't have to have a ton of feelings and emotional, um, investment in it. Mm -hmm. Whereas before, like I said, I was so emotionally attached to food. There was so much feeling and thinking and energy wrapped up into it that it just consumed my life. Like saying yes and saying no and saying whatever. Yeah. 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 I love that. Cause that's actually what you're, what you're talking about is a, an even deeper level of embodiment, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes I still have the self-doubt and the questioning oh, of where, course. Mm -hmm. you know, if I do say, oh yeah, let's have a salad for tonight or, oh, we've had so much pasta and pizza. Like I just want to have, you know, some chicken and veggies. And then I'm like, Ooh, am I saying that? Because I think we should be quote unquote healthier right. than we have been. Right. Am I saying that because my jeans were tight? Is, am I saying that? <laughs> let's be honest. I haven't worn jeans in like a year. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and then I have to walk it back and say, okay, like what percentage of my brain is thinking about size and weight loss in this moment? Yeah. If it's really not, then okay, let's do what I intuitively wanted to do because maybe my brain is telling me I need protein and vegetables. Yeah. Well, that's the integration, right? And we talk about this in the work, right? Like that, you know, you know, this little podcast here, you know, and this whole juicy body challenge that I'm going to be offering up, you know, that I, it will actually be done by the time this airs that I will have offered up in January and moving into this other piece of the work is like, 
you know, we often are so in our heads when we start this work that we really have to focus on getting into our bodies. But true embodiment is being able to integrate both of those. And like, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about this flow of sometimes like your body just knowing and then also having the tools, though, to integrate information that you know is true about you and question decisions that you're making and pull them apart to make sure you're really making them for the right reasons and just being able to integrate brain and body. So it sounds like like it's a beautiful way to sort of wrap up this conversation is that what we're, when we talk about embodiment, it's like we're talking about integrating this full range of human behavior when it comes to food and ideally movement eventually and our bodies, mm -hmm. the, the saying yeses and the saying noes, the wanting all the things and the being able to not want. Um, and then also being able to integrate head and body, brain and body. To me, it sounds yeah. like that's embodiment. Yeah, I think I've made a lot of progress with, you know, even since we wrapped up the program, like I've, I've gone back to it a bunch of times. I've gone back to the notes. I've gone back to that, you know, the, the, the book mm -hmm. that we ended up with at the end. And just to remind myself, what were my goals and what were my feeling words and, and, what were my intentions when I was that focused on it? Because obviously life gets busy and you forget. So I want to be able to continually come back to that and sort of refocus. And that's something I'm going to be doing for myself now. You know, we do business planning in the new year and yeah. I want to do some new year planning for myself. And obviously it's not focused on weight loss, but, but there is that fear of like, Ooh, do I want to start focusing on health because it's a slippery slope? Yeah. Um, yeah. But and you showed us it that we like? can. Yeah. 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 What does it yeah. look like for me to focus on health? Yeah. I love that. And I think like, just like with a business plan, we need to revisit that's fundamental to embodiment is revisiting how we want to feel and what is going to help us get there fairly regularly because it changes. Yeah. And, um, if we're not being a little bit intentional with it, it's really easy to slip into, to start feeling not great and then to slip into that old programming. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanna take a tiny little break in this podcast to remind you that the Juicy Body Blueprint is open for enrollment. A 12 week program, 12 weeks of key lessons and bigger and more importantly than that, guidance, mentorship, community, diet recovery calls, Q&As, juicy body blueprint development and, and learning how to revisit it and alter it and make it work for you. This is all inside this program. And I deeply want you to consider joining us if what you're listening to is resonating, if it sounds like something that you want to do, that you want to be part of. I would love to have you. So check out the show notes for links to the sales page and to book in for a call with me. Email me hello at foodfreedombodylove.com and let's get you in. The next snippet of conversation is with Anne and Anne is an incredibly intellectual and cerebral person um, who you'll hear at the beginning of, of this you know, sort of conversation is talking about the fact that she really has always prided herself on, you know, taking in information quickly and learning it and understanding it. And just the challenge, you know, is what we talk about of just embodying something versus 
just learning the concepts and understanding them and knowing them. And there's just so much gold in here. There's so many amazing sound bites and snippets from Anne. It's just filled with gold. I can't wait to share it with you. I really pride myself on being kind of a fast learner, someone who can um, comprehend, make comparison, find patterns, do the analyzing, get it, and then move on to the next concept. And I think even in something like, um, you know, top therapy, there's like a narrative, there's a story, you tell your story, you review it, you, you might have to sort of reframe it or understand a different perspective, but it's all happening in the head and it's sort of intellectual exercise. Um, I think what's been really challenging for me with this work is that the learning is actually this little tip of the iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> and then it kind of, um, it becomes something else. There's like these tectonic plates shifting. There's like lava, there's like fossilized ideas, there's habits, there's like all this stuff underneath. And the more you try and think it through, the more kind of stuck I was getting. So the more I was trying to approach it as like, I'll just read a different book or I'll, I'll, um, I'll find another source of this information. Someone will have figured it out and I'll just read how they did it. And then I'll just do that. They'll give me the steps. So it's actually like a really diety mentality. To take yeah, that's, that's what I was just thinking as you were describing it. It's like, I want the diet book for getting out of diet mentality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it really soothes all of my, you know, I've been dieting for 30 years. So when we, you know, with the work with you and, and in the redefining health, we start to sort of tease out, you know, what's diet mentality, what's my personality. And I get quite stuck in those kind of thoughts, you know, what is this? Why is this happening? And again, it allows me to kind of go back up into my head and not really do the work, which is actually just think down into the body. And it's something that people say a lot, you know, they say sort of listen to your body, these quite like vague things or do some meditation or and I think when you've been dieting for 30 years, and it's not just dieting, it's movement too. You know, it's like a whole lifestyle with all these rules, these sort of binary thinking, you're succeeding, you're failing, um, you're, you're doing it right, or there's something wrong with you. It's very, it's very soothing for someone who's is my sort of personality where I'm like judging, I want to do better. If I cut this many calories today, I can cut more tomorrow. There's always this progress, sort of linear. Um, and actually what happens kind of from the head down is super messy. And it's like, it's not linear. You can have good days and bad days. But most of it has been sort of sitting in discomfort for me for extended periods of time. And that's been really challenging. And I think that isn't really talked about a lot um, in you know, every program has to be marketed and it has to be promoted. And it, that also is a bit diety, you know, there's absolutely, there's absolutely hook. And um, it's and part of the what, struggle, I'll say as like the uh, from the just like from the business kind of owner side of it, not the practitioner or the human person who's also yeah. doing this work and living it. Um, within the mastermind that I have, it's something we talk about all the time, because we do care deeply about how we market this work and yet in order to reach people 
sometimes yeah. where they're at, it does, there is an approach that feels a bit diety, even the bit, the beginning of this work, you know, it's a lot yeah. more when I first start working with people, it's a lot more lesson by lesson, step by step. And really the goal is to create a plan for no plan, but that can be really hard to hear at first. It can be really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a hook, you know, and, and I think it's very effective for those of us who are trying to get out of dieting is, you know, the packaging of dieting, and especially those of us, like I started dieting, as I said, 30 years ago, when diets were a book, they just had to get you to buy the book and then tell all your friends because you're only on chapter three. And then you know, when it doesn't work, it's a personal shameful failure that you don't go back and tell all your friends about. And they've all now bought the book and they're on chapter three telling all their friends. And now that it's, you know, it's changed, I think, with social media and um, the way that it's marketed to people. But that's very much my, you know, failure is a personal shame and dieting happens privately, me and my book and my steps and what I'm doing. Um, and that's really affected the way that I kind of approach this work, you know, in the sense that I'm the only person I know who's doing this work. So I'm, I'm doing it sort of, it's me, the reading, the intellectualizing, and then a little bit of, you know, my, my talks with you and the groups that I do try and participate in. Um, but most of it is just figuring it out step-by-step step by myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, getting it wrong. I would say the one thing that I wasn't sort of prepared for in the day-to-day -day aspect is, like I said, being really uncomfortable and trying and failing a lot of different things. So trying, trying meditation and finding it really difficult. And there's a lot of pressure to, you know, social media wise or what we hear is like, oh, just, you know, meditate. I literally, I hate it. I hate it. I find it so difficult to just sit. I want to get it right. I'm like trying to figure out the breathing. Then I get so uptight about not being able to breathe properly that that's all I think about. And so a lot of the work for me has also been kind of getting it quote unquote wrong, you know, doing things. Um, even just talking about not being able to meditate, I can feel like my body temperature going up. It's like, um, it's sort of all these expectations of what we should be able to do, what should come naturally. Um, Things like getting to understand how subtle the body is, the 150 million ways that it communicates with us during the day, the little feelings. And I think after all the years of trying to make my body conform, and most of that has been sort of around shutting it down, shutting down the messages, yeah. demanding a certain performance, Absolutely. feeling bad for wanting things. So you try and cut off the wanting even, or the idea of things. Um, if you have like an injury and you can't do the movement that you expect to do, that's kind of a failure, so you push through. And so the whole idea of healing, of um, resting, of giving space, of and now for the first time, like at 43, I can feel a little tension in my body that I'm like, oh, I need to do a bit of stretching for this. And that's like a whole new thing. Before it would have been I wouldn't have even been able to feel that because unless it was kind of hammering me over the head, I was unable to process any of the messages that were coming from within my body. And I think that 
you know, like I was saying earlier, not having any kind of roadmap or sort of list of ways to do that. The thing that I've found most successful has been observing and really observing in like 30 second increments. Yeah, yeah. And really tiny, tiny steps. There's so many things in there that I love that you said. I love the imagery of like tectonic plates and the fact that like every time something shifts, there's like lava that emerges or like a new layer, a new a new, a new thing. And I think you're right. Like, I think many of the women that I work with, the pattern of women that fall into more disordered patterns of behavior around food and body, there is this tendency to be quite, um, successful and intelligent. And like, like there, there, there are patterns, right. Empathetic and slightly perfectionistic. And so (laughs) when you try to get out of dieting, we, I include myself in this group, want to approach it in the same way. And it can actually become, you know, at the beginning, there's of course so much learning. I always say you need to do the learning in order to like, just create the brain space to start reconnecting with your body. But once you get through that, there is a point where continuing to learn can just be a distraction. Like you said, like, oh, I just need, I need another book. I need another podcast. I need another, it's like another way that imposter syndrome sort of shows up for women. Like I couldn't possibly figure this out for myself. So I just need somebody else's roadmap, like you said, and then I can just follow the roadmap. And, and I love, um, I love this idea of like, that the embodiment piece of this process, because I talk about this a lot, is finding comfort in discomfort, finding comfort in not knowing, in having needs that change regularly, in having a body that shifts and changes regularly, and like not having this very clear list of like the right foods and the wrong foods, or the right exercise and the wrong exercise, or like the right times of day to eat and the wrong, but instead being in process with your body and getting to know patterns and getting to know yourself. Yeah. But knowing that the target's going to continue to move, right? That we can figure out how we want to feel, but that there's not one exact right path to getting there. Like it's going to shift and change and you're going to have to do this thing that most adults don't do a lot of, which is like, play around with it and experiment and observe and get it wrong. Yeah. It's a lot of getting it wrong. And when you are really stuck on, you have to sort of reconsider what is success and failure. And that took me a really long time to understand that success for me now is staying in observation. So it's kind of, you know, the part of the journey that I'm on now, which I have to also say might change, but I can feel, you know, I can feel I'm, I'm getting better at feeling like if someone, you know, were to suggest something, I can sort of feel out for myself. Is it right for me? Is, is it not? But the success, um, the part of it that, that I've kind of, and I've sort of tricked myself and I know I've tricked myself, but I've just told myself that my job is to observe. That's my job now. That's, that's my task and succeeding at it is to observe well and to react in tiny little ways to each little observation as it comes not six observations down the road and not like okay i felt like working out today 
that means that I need to schedule workouts every other day for the next six for months. all of eternity. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, it's like, this is, you know, I've done my job and probably, you know, it would be great if I could figure out why I need to be so successful all the time and what that is about me. And, you know, probably there is a whole lot of work that could be done there, but actually I have to pause that as well. And what's most important right now, figuring out my priorities. And right now I just have to, and it's taking me so much time. <laughs> like it's taking me days to get comfortable with sort of what I thought would be really basic and easy. Um, like eating a banana at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, with, you know, with some other things, let's say, and not counting it as my lunch, but then maybe eating again at three o'clock. Right. And not trying to find it as a meal, not trying to push it into a meal time, you know, like quite sort of things that I, you know, when I'm being quite judgy with myself, I sort of feel like that should have been covered in the early years of this work. Why am I so struggling now this far in with sort of wanting to name my meals and sort like of like wanting to categorize everything and label it and fit it all into a box. Yeah. Mm. And I catch these little judgments bubbling up, these quite harsh, sometimes quite harsh. Um, and they kind of bubble up to the surface at quite unexpected moments. Um, and they're usually around sort of trying to categorize or move things or understand things in a diet context. I've gotten pretty good at spotting those, but sometimes it's like quite basic judgments about me as a person. And I'm quite surprised by that. And that part of that has been the day-to-day -day work is sort of like sitting with that over time, you know, many, many months day in, day out, um, or the, the work that I, you know, around movement, maybe I, I'm not ready to schedule. I probably should be ready at this point, but if I start scheduling, I get so uptight about sticking with the schedule. And if I don't work out a little bit more than I did the last time, or I don't do an extra kilometer, or I don't hit some next thing. So right now it's like being successful for me is resisting that. Being mm. successful is working out really only when I feel like it. Movement is, um, it has to come from inside me and I have to, I know for myself right now, I have to learn to trust that I will want to move regularly, that I do love it, that it's not something I'm doing to affect my body or lose weight or any of those things. And the only way I can really trust that is, I now realize <laughs> months of, just doing it when I feel like it yeah and doing what I feel like like right now you know it's snowing outside it would be a perfect day for a walk my sort of slightly judgy self is thinking all the people on Instagram are outside walking that's what wholesome healthy like you know families are doing I, I don't want to go outside I have no interest in going outside I want to be inside and maybe I want to be stretching on a mat and I have to kind of not push myself to be someone I'm not. And it really surprises me that at 43, I have to say that out loud. You know, I think of myself as a relatively confident, capable person. Yeah. And I sometimes have these quite uncomfortable thoughts of like, oh, I have to go outside because everybody's going outside and that's what you do over this sort of Christmas break. Everybody's supposed to be outside playing in the snow. And, and it's, it's sort of really silly. It's, I think that's another thing I find difficult in the day-to-day -day work is that you feel a bit silly having to sort of 
talk yourself out of things like this. You know, the fact I, do, that I totally, I had a conversation just in the car yesterday with my, with the, you know, we were talking about what we need. You know, I, I talked about it on Instagram the other day asking about what we need. And I was thinking about what I need right now. Um, just post holidays, the end of another year. And one of the things that was on my list was I just need to binge a show on Netflix and not feel judged for it. And, you know, my husband is one of the least judgmental people on the face of the earth. And one of my kids said, mom, come on. You think dad really judges you for watching a show? And and he piped up really quickly and he said, no, I do. I do in subtle ways. Because he's a yeah. very active, like busy, mm. on the go person. That's very natural to him. And he doesn't need a lot of downtime. And we've had some downtime, but it's been like filled with like, you know, a small group of people that were in my house for four or five days. And there there wasn't a lot of just like, but interactive. It was very interactive. And just my mm -hmm. personality is I now need some completely uninteractive time. And yeah. I used to feel guilt about that and shame about that. And my husband would in very subtle ways, you know, come into the room after an hour and be like, I think, you know, we got to get the kids outside. We got to go do something. And then I yeah. would feel bad. So I would push my way through. And then, you know, it's all these very subtle things that at the end of a holiday start to really pull you out of your body. And it's one of the reasons yeah. we feel so burnt out is because we feel like we have to be doing. Anyway, I just want to add to that idea that it is subtle. It is yeah. subtle. And like these little judgments and these little do come in from different places. And for me, it was just a really weird big thing because I do feel like I really live in my body and do my best at it, that it felt like such a big deal to say that out loud in the car to the whole family. Yeah. Like it not that I'm going to sneak a Netflix binge. I'm just going to do yeah. it in front of everyone. Yeah. But it takes a, a sort of sort of heroic amount of emotional strength to to do these really silly little, you know, I don't even want to say silly, but you know, on the scope of some of the things that we're dealing with in the world and then, you know, and that we're you know, you're running a business, you're doing all these kind of big things. And then they kind of have to, you know, not call a banana lunch if I don't want to, or, you know, maybe eat again in two hours if I feel like it, even though it's not actually a meal time. And, I'm, and it's all running through my head. And I'm, I'm thinking, but I'm a, I'm a grown woman. Why, why is this, you know, why is this so challenging? And for me, it's all of that micro, micro, stuff like if I do feel like I need some movement I have to almost I mean it's almost breath by breath some days like I'm practically shuffling my way over to the mat and sort of trying to register tensions and judgments you know I, I, I have things that come up in my body that are very very subtle I think the body is so much more complex than I gave it credit for and the amount of communication that's happening at all times once you are sort of awake to it really for the first time in my life it's um there's tons and tons and tons of information you know very subtle and that's a big deal and I sort of have to give myself the space and the and the time to say like this is kind of brand new for 30 years. You shut it out. 
you didn't you really weren't interested and now it's like a like it's like huge waves of awareness happening and then kind of trying to get it right you know when there's no right answer that's really difficult yeah and i think one of the things that we've talked about is like also sorting through that information and like because our brains immediately want to start jumping in and judging and categorizing and labeling and yeah. so it's like the yeah the 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 the, the discipline of this embodiment process is like you said, staying in connection with our body moment by moment, like very present moment. And, and, you know, you sort of describe it as observation, which I love. It's just like staying in observation and staying in observation of like the judgments that we place on the, the information our body gives us. Like when it, it's one thing, if your body says move, it's one thing to accept that information. It's another whole thing to accept when your body says, I don't want to move. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> and, and both of those things, interestingly, at different parts of the process can be really difficult to yeah. trust. You know, it's difficult to. So embodiment is about um, what I'm hearing you talk about is this experimental kind of messy process of tuning in, observing, listening, watching, hearing what the info, you know, what your body is telling you, the information it's giving you, and then doing your best kind of moment by moment to, to attend to it in whatever way is possible for you. Yeah. And not, not, and doing it kind of on the fly, you know, getting better at integrating it. So it's not a meditation that I sit down and for, and for some people it is, and I'm sure that that, that, that works really well. Um, and maybe these are micro meditations that I'm doing, you know, throughout the day, or maybe I'll find a way to sort of better integrate it. Um, but at the moment it's, it's not kind of calling it an activity or setting it up as a goal. It's trying to start just weaving it so that sort of information is going up and down and through my body and and starting to kind of interpret it as it comes up and not having to set a time where I yeah I allow my body to speak to me let's say or you know I'll, I don't have to be sitting on a yoga mat um, in a certain position for that info to be ready for that information no so not at all mm -hmm. and for some people that's actually like you've noticed for some people that actually gets in the way of the information it really gets in the way totally and and, it, and and it's so pervasive the messaging I find maybe it's just the messaging I see because I feel sort of not very good at meditating but um or you know whatever the activity is or whatever sort of it, it's for me it's also been like it works for someone else maybe 30 percent of what they do might work for me and I yeah. have to learn to kind of take that yes and then take you know one sentence that might catch me what's been great for me actually is instagram that community that i've got my whole instagram feed is people who are living you know just people that i find inspiring in some way and yes. i just take little moments. take the take the bits that resonate and let the rest go yeah yeah sometimes yeah. Sometimes when everybody is out walking in the winter wonderland, I do start to judge myself for not being outside, but that's kind of being a human. So I'll like kind of allow that, but sure. And I think that's know. one of the things like, I mean, you can talk a little bit more about it, but one of the things that we've worked on together, um, is this idea of like 
separating or normalizing like the pieces of this, like part of the diet mentality is we can become quite perfectionistic in our recovery. Like there's this ultimate place we're going to land where like everything is easy and we're completely intuitive and like we always know what's right for our body and we never judge ourselves. And I don't think we consciously think about it like that. I think that's just a a, a subconscious belief system that keeps us feeling like we're... It's conscious for you too. Yeah. (laughs) But it keeps us locked into this. Yeah. It keeps us, it keeps us locked into this idea that we're failing all the time. And so I feel like, and you can like elaborate on this or, or, or challenge it if I'm getting it a bit wrong, but kind of normalizing the pieces of like, when we get to a certain point in the embodiment process, there's also like sifting through what's just you being a human. Yeah. (laughs) And like, what's a place where we actually need to work. And I think that one of my favorite parts of the embodiment process after we get the basics down and and the not so basics down and after we've been practicing this for a while is sometimes being like, we don't need to work so hard at trying to make ourselves perfect all the time. Like yeah. kind of life is messy and like one of the harsher but kind of beautiful realities that I've realized for being an adult is that a lot of it is just getting comfortable in discomfort and that idea yeah. of like, it's never really going to be perfect and it's okay. Yeah. And I've seen that. And in a way, what's, you know, it's having, um, having my kids get to an age where I'm hearing myself, I'm, I'm able to see their struggles and I hear myself saying to them, and then I come away later and I'm like, I kind of need to hear that myself actually, you know, and, and allowing for, um, allowing for just wanting to be the best person possible is my goal now I think that's where it's sort of changing it's you know it's seeing so many people who who put no effort into kindness let's say or you know the 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 shift for me has been so much away from I'm clearly a terrible person because I can't keep weight off and every decision I make around my body and food is a moral one and it's identifying to the world that I am in some level of a failure and not good enough and I've I've kind of put a lot of that to to bed in many ways and I'm and I'm now seeing especially with you know with pandemic with the world that just people trying to be good people is amazing you know what I mean like we are just all trying to get through this and um and I you know when I think about what I want for my kids I want them to to be good kind people to the people around them and I want them to have you know contentment and joy in their lives. I want them to feel a part of something bigger than they are. I want them, you know, the things that I want for them, I've now kind of been able to internalize. Something that just, yeah, something that just popped up as you said that is this like, just thinking about social media and the world we're currently living in. And it's interesting because there is a lack of kindness on social media. And a lot of it comes from like, black or white thinking and all or nothing thinking and right or wrong thinking. And it's so interesting that this work, the embodiment piece of this work is very much a masterclass in nuance and compassion, isn't it? It's like, and as you get better at holding that really hard space for yourself, it does translate into wanting and being able to offer a lot more of that to others. Yeah. It really does. Compassion. It's not all or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it does. It feels like it's, you know, it's instead of just sort of being polite, um, actually being compassionate with yourself and having that empathy, allowing yourself to be sort of messy and silly and vulnerable and um, talking about this stuff with people, um, talking about it, you know, either like with my kids or within this community or to you or, you know, saying to my husband, like some of the things like I know that you and I have like sort of joked about these little like paranoias that come and then, you know, you actually share it and the person you're sharing it with is like, I wouldn't worry too much about that. I think you're okay. <laughs> um, and that kind of community and, and a community that's sort of so accepting of, of everybody, no matter where they are on this journey, which I've found in the work that that you do and in you know being a participant in that sense it is making better human beings so it's so important isn't it because i think that like um i don't know who spoke to it recently on social media i want to say maybe uh, i don't want to get it wrong but maybe kenzie brennan no it was um body positive megan crab from she was body posi panda or yeah. yeah and she spoke to this idea of like you know the social wokeness um and it becoming a new kind of ultimate morality that yeah. people get held to like if you're not perfect, perfect. in your social awareness mm -hmm. you get really demolished out there and i think that one of my goals is to consistently create spaces where people are allowed to come into it at different places and like if you're further along you're not there to judge the other people in the room. You're there to hold them. Yeah. As because the goal is that we that we assume the best in others yeah. and that we assume we, we we offer benefit of the doubt that if someone is coming into this work like they may not understand health at every size yet or they may not understand weight stigma or fat phobia or they may not be able to recognize it all fully in themselves. But we've been there. Yeah. We know what that feels like and we work to hold space as they grow and learn and gently correct and like gently help people move through it and find their way to a better place without anybody needing to be perfect. At yeah. It. Yeah. And that's what I think is so, you know, that, that embodiment thing and, and now kind of fully understanding how, how messy it is, how messy it will stay, how messy we are as people um it's in the trying and in the sort of engagement that's the success in yes in this process it's just staying engaged and and being a mess is actually <laughs> great because if we could all just sort of you know the more of us that are able to admit the mess and kind of accept it it's it, it allows for so much more freedom and the people around us to to be themselves, you know. And I see it in my daughter, who thinks she's the only ten year old that has anxiety in the whole world. And she looks at her friends at school, and they all seem perfect. And I really understand where she's getting that from. Like I can really identify with that idea that I'm broken. Everybody else is perfect. And you know, as an adult and as her mother, but you know, as we all kind of in this community and in the community that I'm building in real life for myself and online, it's really transformative to have that, um, to have people who sit around and just talk about things not being perfect or, 
you know, their vulnerabilities, you know, in the same way that other people might talk about, you know, shopping or whatever, and it, it normalizes something and you can build a community around, around just that everybody being messy and mm -hmm. sometimes imperfect and engaged. And, yeah. Yeah. Engaging in process. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. That is a perfect place to wrap this up. I think. Thank you. I'm just going to stop the recording. Last, but certainly not least, we're going to hear from Lindsay. Lindsay is a really interesting human being. She has been in the beauty and fashion industry her whole life in costuming. She has a history of a fairly significant eating disorder, as well as a health condition that made our work challenging, you know, untangling motivation when it comes to food, when you are battling with an, uh, a health condition that forces you to eat a certain way, um, requires, you know, extra insight and intention. And we really moved beautifully, I think, through it together. And so she'll talk about a little bit of that. And she also talks about widening the range of um, experience when it comes to food and her tolerance for that wider range of experience. You know, while also in the midst of the work that we did together, um, discovering that her daughter has autism and she talks about that and she parallels the learning to accept the uniqueness and incredibleness and the gift of her daughter as she learned to accept her own uniqueness and incredibleness and gift of her body. Um, despite the challenges that she's had with it. So um, I cut out a little bit of this um, conversation because her her totally beautiful, amazing daughter is in the background. At a few parts, it was sort of hard to hear, um, but there's just still so much gold in here that I wanted you to absolutely hear from Lindsay. How you stay focused on the, you know, the quote unquote right motivation, which is caring for your body, while being um, flexible and pleasure driven versus those like deeply ingrained old beauty and body ideals. Um, it, it, there's sort of a parallel between that and what happened with my daughter who was diagnosed with autism also while we were working, to working together. Um, and a lot of the work and the therapy um, for her involves changing her so that she fits in with society. And I've always sort of felt that um, she's different, but she's not broken. And why am I, and I mean, they use a lot of the same words um, that they do, uh, like passing, you know, like it, the way people would pass as, as white and they will, you know, want her to pass as a neurotypical and yeah. it makes my skin crawl. Um, so with her, with myself, with the food, I, I just have the belief now that I'm not broken, that society's broken. My daughter's not broken, it's society that's broken. So it's sort of a, a mantra. It's not, um, we're, we're, we don't have sick bodies necessarily, but we're living in a, in a sick world. Mm -hmm. So it's not, um, it's a much harder thing to try and change. I mean, it's, it's a, <sighs> to try and change the world as opposed to yourself to fit into it better. Yeah. But I think it's the better fight in the end or not fight. I think we all lose wars. So I, we need to choose another word other than fight. But right. um, um, it's a, certainly a challenge. The world is sick and society is sick. And that's what we need to change. 
and yeah. we can only do that when we're our, our true selves so yeah oh that's it's such a big concept in this work it's that idea of you know I, we talk about it like the the gritty unglamorous challenging work of being authentic which is not instagrammable or no. quote worthy necessarily well, I learned a long time ago I'm really bad at being other people and I'm really good at me you know being myself right like right. when you peer pressure and all that growing up it's like no I'm I'm horrible at being other people and I'm mm. I'm quite good at making my mistakes and being goofy me yeah so yeah that's it's just learning that that's not only good enough that that's um of value and that that can have really really help other people yeah i think that's such a big part of the embodiment process is being able to hold those energies both of those energies which is like the world is this thing over here and it's mm -hmm. and it's broken mm -hmm. and i don't necessarily fit into it or I ne I don't necessarily or I shouldn't fit into it um and that can be hard in some respects but this other energy of like there's you know it's hard to be yourself it's hard to break away from that but in a lot of ways it's easier than trying to fit in I guess is what yeah. I'm trying to say like there's different kinds of hard there's, when it comes yeah. to the work and it's like Yes, it's hard to be yourself sometimes. Yes, it's hard depending on the layers that we talk about in this work of oppression and challenge. Like it is difficult to just be yourself in a world that's not very welcoming or um, warm to different mm -hmm. kinds of bodies or different kinds of, like you mentioned with your daughter, brains, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also hard to try to smush yourself into it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a big piece of this embodiment process, I think, that I'm hearing it from you, which is that like choosing your heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Choosing your heart. And what heart is it? Yeah. And, and what do you um, what do you want to spend your life? I don't want to spend my life dieting. Right. And right. I mean, the wonderful thing is, is we're taught that our bodies are these out of control things, but they're not, you know. I've never felt the urge to binge or overeat since I just eat the way my body wants me to, mm, Yeah, you know, and yeah. sometimes my body doesn't want to eat and nobody says, well, if you stop dieting or trying to, you just won't be hungry sometimes. <laughs> right. Right. They don't, that's really, who's going to make money off of that one. Right. Right. So right. they're not It's also say, a scary thing. That's also like a really interesting, um, you know, it's, it's, interesting to me that early on in the work the thing that's so scary is hunger you know it's mm -hmm. this idea that like you said will be out of control that the hunger will never end but once we sink into it we start to find this this cycle of like hunger and then satiation mm -hmm. and kind of mm -hmm. fineness and it's interesting that there's a point in the work where that can be frightening or nerve-wracking because it's like where is yeah. this coming from is this yeah. normal you know so that's an interesting I always find that a very interesting piece of the work which is part mm -hmm. of um from my perspective part of the return like part yeah. of the embodiment and integration of this work is being able to work with the ebbs and the flows of hunger yeah. and, and fullness and satiation and all the different ends of it and there's both and there should yeah. be both but and we're just not both. we're just not taught that so Society certainly doesn't. Well, thank you. This You're was welcome. great. 
All right. That's it for today. It was a bit of a long episode, um, but I think it's so invaluable to hear from those who have been through the work, who have experienced it, who are still in process with it. Um, and that is the power of the Juicy Body Blueprint. Enrollment is open. It is a 12-week program to get you on the path to moving beyond the learning of concepts and into the living of these concepts. And I genuinely, deeply hope that if this is um, in alignment with what you're after, if it is making sense to you, if it sounds right to you, uh, that you will consider joining us. Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.